First Samuel chapter number two this morning. First Samuel two verse twelve. When you find yourself there, let's stand as we read God's word. We'll read down to verse sixteen this morning, and then we'll read verse twenty-two, and then we'll go to chapter three. I don't like jumping around too much. I like to stick to one thought, one passage, but I'm trying to give us a little bit of context today. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Let's read down through verse 16 out loud together. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that with any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest servants came, said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it uh, me now, and if not, I will take it by force." Let's read verse 17. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Let's read now verse 22, if you would, with me. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And, uh, well, let's go down to chapter 3 now, right? I know I'm just giving you a little bit of background context. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're uh, two sons that were uh, supposed to be serving the Lord, uh, but they were serving themselves. So chapter 3, verse 13, we see the indictment here. Uh, God calls out to Samuel, little boys serving the Lord in the temple, and he gives Samuel a message for Eli. Verse 13, God speaking here. Let's read it together. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word today. I ask that you would help us to uh, learn that it's good for us to have rules. It's good for us to be under authority. All of us have authority. Uh, an authority over us. And all of us probably have some, uh, some authority that we have to exercise, whether we have children or whether we are a boss at work or whether we uh, have been given some responsibility maybe in the church. But God, I pray that you'd help us to realize rules are good for us and rules are good for our children. I pray that you'd help us to realize that we need to limit, not just love our children, but we need to limit them and give them rules and uh, enforce those rules, have authority, love them in that way. We express our love by how, uh, how we restrain our children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Restrictions set children free. Rules set children free. When we limit our children, we are actually, we're in effect, we are liberating them. Uh, this is the paradox of parenting, and Eli did not limit or restrain his sons. He didn't set limits, and it cost them. It cost society, and it cost Eli himself dearly. 
The Garden of Eden. Do you know where the Garden of Eden, uh, the story is in the Bible? We go to the book of Genesis. We're not going to turn there, but Genesis 1, 2, 3, we find out about uh, God's uh, rules. And the very first man and woman broke God's rules. God gave us a great example of the importance of setting limits by the Garden of Eden. He set limits for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he um, provided for them. He gave them everything that they needed. He gave them all the food that they needed. He gave them all the fellowship that they needed. He gave them everything that they needed in the Garden of Eden. But he also used limits to keep them from what was not good for them, that which would be harmful. And like Adam and Eve tested God's limits, our children will test our limits and our rules over and over and over again. And I would say that they do so because the limits we establish for them give them a sense of security. Here's what I mean. Dr. James Dobson reports the findings of an interesting study done on school children recently in his film series, Focus on the Family. A group of educators decide to remove chain link fences from around the school playground. They believe the fences promoted feelings of confinement and restraint. Sounds like a lot of, lot of things today. Oh, we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. We don't want to make people feel, uh, you know, we want to give them security, make them feel safe. So let's remove the fences. Counterintuitive, I guess, but that's what they did. They didn't want them to feel confined or restrained. The curious thing was that they noticed, however, that as soon as the fences were removed, the children huddled in the center of the playground to play. The conclusion was that children need boundaries, and fences bring freedom. It was the absence of fences that created fear and apprehension. Limits and rules establish security. It's a perimeter of protection for our children. And if we do not uphold the rules, it's one thing to have rules. It's another thing to enforce the rules, right? You know there's laws in our, very, our city of Milwaukee that aren't enforced. So they're basically not laws then. Because a law really isn't a law until it's enforced. And so rules are really not rules unless you are consistently following through, enforcing, and actively limiting and restraining your children. We hear parents, we hear teachers, we hear authorities make idle threats many times. I'm going to, you, you wait, don't do that again. You don't want to know what's going to happen if you do that again. I don't know about you, but I was that curious child that wanted to find out what was going to happen if I did it again. <laughs> don't, don't push me. Don't push me. 
I'm going to give, I'm going to count to th three, two, one. I always waited till one. I always waited. If we don't hold our children to limits, they will lose their sense of security. Children that grow up with rules that a loving and reasonable parent uh, makes in the home, a child that grows up with that many times grows up with confidence, with ex feeling loved and accepted, secure. But if we don't do that, we cause our children to act out in a sense of reaction. Society in general looks upon rule setting as something bad, but it's one of the most valuable things a parent can do. There's something wrong with the children in our society. There's something wrong with many of the young people, even in our churches today. They cannot tell right from wrong because they've never been restrained or limited. We take the Ten Commandments off the walls of the school, the courtroom, even the churches, and we wonder why people walk through life aimlessly, not knowing right from wrong. And Satan is doing a job on our next generation. Psalm 11, verse 3, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If our children don't learn to live within the limits, what are they going to do? If they don't learn now, will they ever learn in the future? Your job as a parent, my job as a parent, our job as authorities is to set the limits and be reasonable about rules. Don't make rules just to have rules, okay? We used to joke about this, and it's probably everywhere. Everywhere you go, that any place that has a rule book, they make jokes. Yeah, some of these rules on, in this rule book have my name on them, you know. And when I was in college, we used to joke about that. And saying four years ago, the rule book wasn't as thick as it is now, you know. And uh, I remember every year they'd have orientation, freshman orientation, and some of us upperclassmen would be there. And the guy... Uh, something happened my freshman year with my roommate. My roommate, we had a lake behind our college dorm, and it iced over in the winter. My roommate walked out on the lake. He got yelled at, got demerits. He wasn't supposed to be out there. But my sophomore, junior, and senior year at freshman orientation, the guy in charge said, yeah, Paul Hoover went out on the ice. And he, I'm like, stop saying that. That wasn't me. That was Walter. It wasn't me. That was my roommate. They probably still say at Fairhaven, yeah, Paul Hoover, when he was here, he walked out on the ice. So I guess that rule has my name on it. But our society has systematically gone away from the idea that life has limits and there's a need for rules and uh, they've gone away from the idea, actually the fact, the truth, that there is such a thing as absolutes. There is a definite right and a definite wrong. It's all by design. The devil has uh, his plan in action. But let's not take part in that. Let us, as Christians who know that there is a right and there is a wrong, let us set limits. Let us uh, encourage there to be uh, rules, but also the following and the, uh, the adherence 
of those rules. Order is important. I think of a message I heard Mike Allison preach when I was in college. It resonated, the title at least resonated with me. The sermon brought conviction, but the title of his sermon was, I am sick and tired of all the rules. He said there are rules for everything. There are rules for things that don't even matter. You just can't enjoy life because of all the rules. He said, nobody wants me to have any fun. A lot of people think that rules make life miserable. And if this is the case, then why do so many people flock to the Pfizer Forum and to the Miller Park or whatever it is now, um, American Family Field. Why do so many people flock down to, uh, down to Lambeau Field, go to Green Bay? Why do so many people watch sports games and watch these athletes play? Thousands of people, millions of people watching on TV. Why are they doing this, going and watching a game where they have rules, if rules make life miserable? They put people on the field for the very purpose of making sure that the athletes, the players, follow the rules. That's important. Why? Because without rules, it's chaotic. It's not fun. So rules actually make things fun. Many times we don't like rules because we're focused on ourselves. Rules protect us from others and others from us and allow us to enjoy the game of life, if you will. Allow us to live in this universe, in this plan, on this planet. God has established this world with order. Man has brought chaos and decay. See, God is a God of order. And when we rebel against the rules, we're actually rebelling against God's order. It's not just part of sports. It's a part of life. Every country, city, and town, every corporation, every entity has rules. So we might as well just get used to the fact that we're going to have rules in life and we have to follow some rules. When was, uh, the car was invented, they had to come up with a whole other list of rules. Why? Because we need order and we need direction. And sometimes we need correction. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have been reminded that there are rules on the road? Thank you for your honesty. You didn't have to raise your hand, but yeah, a couple of you, a couple of you, you say, I better raise my hand or otherwise somebody's going to point at me, you know, call myself out, been pulled over, given a ticket or a warning. I used to get more tickets, now I get more warnings for some reason. It's been a few years since I've gotten one, but... You know, I, I don't like being pulled over. Sometimes I feel like they're targeting, you know, they're, oh, they, they, they're right there waiting for me. I was riding my motorcycle last year out to camp. Oh, I didn't tell anyone this yet. Okay. I was going to Trail Ridge to go preach. I'm going to, I'm going to preach the gospel. Why are they pulling me over on my motorcycle? I'm going through a little town. You've got to be careful about those little towns. And I didn't go on the freeway because I didn't want to kill myself on the motorcycle with all my stuff, you know. 
And so I was in a little town. I don't remember where it was. I could probably figure that out. But I, I took a turn, got onto a highway, and I'd been going 50 or 45, but now it was 25. And I got onto the road, but the, the, the speed limit sign was actually the intersection before. And I turned onto that road, and right there was a cop, a police officer, I'm sorry. I have the utmost respect for those that good police officers because they're, they're there to help us. There's enough bad ones out there, just like there's bad pastors and bad everything else, bad doctors. But, you know, this, and now this was a lady police officer, and uh, uh, she pulls me over. I'm like, oh boy. I not only, I don't, I don't have a, a motorcycle driver's license, I have a permit. That was completely legal. But I'm thinking, they're going to be hard on me because I only have a permit, you know. And I thought, I'm going to get a $200 ticket. Because, you know, these little towns, they got to make money. Where, and it, oh, you're from Milwaukee. We're going to get a piece of Milwaukee here and get some money from this guy from Milwaukee. She gave me a warning and let me go. And I was thankful for that. And I'd taken my helmet off and, and put it on the handlebars. And she said, you need to wear that helmet. I said, I had it on. Never mind. Yes, ma'am. She didn't know I had my helmet on the whole time, but, or had just taken it off when I got pulled over. But we just need to learn to be respectful for those that are, are looking out for our welfare, our authority. Let's try to make their job a little bit easier. I'm not saying that if somebody is, is evil and is doing something wrong, that we, don't, uh, that we don't do what we can to right the wrong and to bring justice where justice is needed. But most of the problem is not uh, necessarily with authority. The problem's with us. We fight against the rules. We don't like it. We don't like it that they're telling us you can only go 55 on the freeway when everyone else is going 85. Sometimes you just have to keep up with the flow of traffic just to survive. I get that. We don't like it that they come up with all of these rules. Some of them don't make sense. But to live a quiet and peaceable life. We need to pray for those that are in authority. They have a hard job. And we need to learn that every rule, not every rule is a bad rule. Most of them are for our good. One top Hollywood producer of situation comedies, sitcoms, is supposed to have said that it was his sincere belief that for any television script to be a commercial success, it must break at least three of the Ten Commandments. See, we're being taught a lot of things without even knowing it. We're being taught systematically in our society through media, through politics, through even church, through our parents, through education, that you can break any rule you want as long as you don't get caught. And sometimes it's even funny to break the rules. It's funny to go against authority. But what are the Ten Commandments but limits that a loving God has set for His people? Those Ten Commandments are important. They're not something to laugh at. They're given to us so that we might know how to be good citizens, but also pleasing to God. They're His laws. 
Proverbs 22:28 says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now there's a need for us to understand that, there's a, that there was a purpose behind the Ten Commandments. There's a purpose behind God giving us commands and order and giving us direction. It's not for us to take it as ten suggestions. They're ten commandments. We have to keep ourselves in check. We have to constantly restrain ourselves. Is it any wonder, because we are living the way we're living, is it any wonder that we're having a hard time restraining our very own children when we ourselves are breaking the rules constantly? Our society is going in the wrong direction, and we need to make a course correction today. I need to make a course correction in my life on a daily basis. As the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Not only do we need to set limits, but we need to establish consequences for transgressing those limits. Scripture has set up, has established, it's clear that there has to be consequences When Adam and Eve broke God's law, what was the consequence? Death passed upon all men. And because of one man's sin, and you go to Romans 5, you find this, Adam's sin. And a lot of people say, well, it was Eve that ate the apple. Well, number one, it wasn't an apple. We don't know that. Number two, her authority also sinned. It was his sin, the Bible says, that caused death to pass upon all men. It's the husband's job to protect the wife, to lead the home spiritually. God makes no bones about that. So it was death passing upon all men because of one man's sin. We also know that... uh, There are consequences elsewhere. We know that Scripture has laid this out, that if you go against God, even nature, when you go against God, even nature gives you a hard time. We see that that's part of God's common grace upon all men, that the way of the transgressor is hard. It's not that God's, you know, oh, they did it again. He's going to hit them with a two-by-four. No, God disciplines his children. But part of the curse is that God, God brings conviction upon all people. But nature and the, 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 the curse, the, the world, but God's, God's laws in nature have been established in such a way that when we go against God, we Find consequence. And so uh, we need to realize that as parents, when we establish rules in the home, we also need to have consequences. And it should be clear. It should be laid out. It shouldn't be, well, I'm mad today, so now you're going to get a spanking. But when you're not as upset, when you're not frustrated with work, when you're not frustrated with how things are going, well, you know, let's just go get some ice cream and we'll just learn from this lesson. I understand that there's times where we don't 
we don't always uh, bring the same punishment. As children get older, we need, to, we need to establish, again, consequence for bad behavior and following, not following rules. And also, I would, I would like to add that when children do right, you should reward that behavior as well. So, Proverbs 29.15 sums up the thought. The Bible says, Proverbs 29.15, uh, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. The rod represents the discipline it represents what we do to discipline our children. It is physical correction. Physical correction. Now, reproof is verbal correction. Verbal correction. Uh, let a ch child have his own way and impose no consequences for misbehavior. Let him rule his own life. Let him have his own way. Let him do whatever he wants. And neither you nor society will want to live with that product. We have all kinds of people in the system today that got to do whatever they wanted to do. There are all kinds of people that have been told for many generations now that you're a victim, you are, you are, you know, people have done bad things, and that's why you act the way you do, and you are completely justified in doing this. My friend, all of us are victims if we want to be. All of us can find something that someone has done to us to excuse ourselves for going against God. And so we need to, we need to very prayerfully and very carefully Work to establish rules, boundaries, but also correction methods in our child rearing. This is true wherever you go, wherever there are rules, there needs to be consequences. I believe that one thing that takes good families out of good churches more than anything else is a teen that begins to rebel in the home and sometimes even begins to rebel against the rules that have been established in the church setting. And because of embarrassment, because we would rather just sweep the problem under the rug, and in some cases, we might even feel it's too late to deal with the problem. Because of that, we see where parents will leave a good church, even a good family will leave a good church 
just to not have to deal with the fallout of not restraining that child. And I understand the most impressionable years are the youngest years between birth and three years of age. But my friend, if they're three or 13, they are not beyond hope. I don't want you to come away from the service today to think that because your child is 23, 33, 43, or 53, that they are somehow beyond hope. Because God can do anything. We serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God who, who with man this is impossible, but with God anything is possible. And God can take that child who is rebelling against authority, and maybe they're out of your house. They're not even under your authority, but today they're going against God and society, and they are just in rebellion, and they are, they, are, uh, they are not broken, they're not humble, they are proud, they are maybe not even saved. But God wants to do something miraculous with them, and there is hope. But don't let a child have his own way and say, well, God, I want to see you doing something miraculous. So just, we're going to just let them live however they want to live and let them sow their wild oats. And we're going to trust you to do something. No, my friend, God gave you the authority and the responsibility to raise those children right. And if you don't, you're going to have to live with what happens. We need some parents that say you're going to do what's right. I don't care if you're 13 years old. I don't care if you're 28 years old. You're going to do what's right. You might say, well, they're an adult now. Oh, they don't have to come over to your house and be disrespectful to you or to God. Well, they, you know, they just, they've been through a hard time. Again, the victim mentality. We're not victims. We've, we've been given the greatest opportunity. We have been given the ability to be forgiven and brought into restoration with God, our creator. And if you uh, feed this idea of victimhood, you are doing your children and yourself and everyone else in society a disservice. We need to get over this corrupt idea that we're somehow victims. We need God's grace in our churches more than ever. We need people that understand that we need God's help. We live in a society that doesn't need God because we got everything under control, so to, we think. We've got our money, we've got our houses, we've got our big church buildings, we've got everything. We've got our padded pews and air conditioning. You might be saying, I don't like the air conditioning. It's kind of cold in here right now. But we've got everything that we want. But we don't want God because we don't think we need God. And when we keep lifting our children up, oh, you're just, you're just so, such a victim. Oh, or, or, or you're just so perfect and wonderful and you could do no wrong and you are the best, you're the greatest. I believe that we should affirm our children, we should encourage our children, but let's not lie to them. Let's not inflate their ego. They need to learn that it's good to be humble before a righteous and holy God. I'm not saying that you need to work to knock them down a peg or two. That's not our job. Our job is to be honest with them and to hold them accountable. 
Like we need to be held accountable. Do for them what you wanted your parents to do for you. We know our parents had faults. But do better. And the only way we're going to teach our children to obey is to make them pay the consequences for their misbehavior. We need to love our children. It's not easy to do these things. It's not easy. You look at Eli in the Bible. He was a priest. He was God's anointed servant. And even God's man failed as a parent. My friend, it is not impressive. It's not even pleasing to God. For us to serve the Lord and to give our life to God and neglect our children. You have that responsibility. Don't come to church thinking, well, the pastor's going to fix them. Uh, the pastor's there to help. But the pastor can't be the authority at home. Well, we're going to bring them to Sunday school. That's good. You need to bring them to Sunday school. Well, we're going to bring them to the youth activities. Good. They need to be there. It's important that we get our kids around good influences and around good mentorship and to be discipled. That's part of it. But that doesn't abdicate you. That doesn't alleviate you. That doesn't give you a free pass somehow from change. He cannot change. His word doesn't change. Let's just say, you know what? Maybe God has the answer after all. Maybe he's right after all. I understand there's more details that we need to get into. There's very specific things in your home. Every home is a case-by-case thing. And that's why we need God's wisdom. So go to God. Take it one step at a time. Don't just come to God when everything has fallen apart. Come to him when it falls apart, but don't just come to him when it falls apart. As I've heard before, don't treat God like your spare tire. Don't treat prayer like a spare tire. Make it your steering wheel. Small corrections. You don't wait till you got to make that plain field curve. You're looking ahead. Hey, there's the, the freeways turning. I better know what's going on around me. I better be prepared. And I got to stay in my lane. Small corrections is what we need. If you love your children and you want them to honor you, then set limits for them and establish consequences for disobedience. Then follow through. We gain our children's honor by loving them, by limiting them. And next week, we'll look at gaining their honor by lifting them. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you bless your word, the word that was spoken, what was received. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I know I, I need your help. Help us all to stay humble. Every day our pride rises up. Just like weeds in the garden. It has to be rooted out, dealt with. And Lord, help us as parents, as leaders, as
somebody that might be in an authority, to learn how to make and establish limits. Because we need to have guidance. Without guidance, without limits, people do whatever is right in their own eyes. And so we thank you for number one, the word, the limits, the guidance that we find in the word. As we're admonished, as we're taught, as we're directed by the Bible, help us to submit, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then also give us wisdom to do the same in our areas of influence. And I pray for those that we are over, that we would entreat them in humility, that they may do their job in honoring the authority that they are under. And so I do pray that you would help us to have uh, this, this kind of mindset in our church. And I pray that you bless each and every parent and home